The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Our guest today is Stephanie Scava. Stephanie is the co-founder and CEO of Wave, a platform that allows users to listen to music, read magazines, and soon listen to podcasts all on a single application. Negotiation is a critical part of her role because she needs to create business relationships with some major companies in the tech and media industries. In this episode, she shares some of her best tools for contract negotiations in the business world. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one, so without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Stephanie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It is always an honor to have somebody who is a part of the Big Ten family on the show. Even though we're rivals, uh, we can get <laughs> beyond that. So it's a, it's a good example of a collaboration here on the Negotiate Anything podcast. <laughs> yep, for sure. So how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually have dual roles. So as you said, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Wave. And then I also am the senior vice president of the corporate development team for the parent company of Wave named Altair. And so with both of those, there's a quite a bit of negotiation that takes place starting just quickly on the Altair side. It's more companies that are in the engineering space where we do partnering and acquisitions around. And then on the wave side, as you can imagine, we have both the content that we would like to have included in wave and the negotiations that happen around there, as well as for me running the team. And I end up being the product manager in addition to the CEO. So making sure that our priorities are set for the products and moving forward. Very cool. And can you give the listeners a bit of a taste of what type of contracts you negotiate on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, absolutely. So with Wave, we've put in place contracts with Universal Music, as well as Sony and Warner on the music side. And then on the magazine side with Time Inc. and with Bonnier Corporation. So really, if you think about all the big names for all the different types of content in Wave, that is what we typically end up doing. That is so impressive. <laughs> very, very impressive because you are dealing with some some mega companies there. So I'm assuming that those negotiations can be a little bit complex at times. Yeah, absolutely. And not just are they large companies, but being the smaller fish in that sea as a startup, they hold quite a bit of the leverage because there isn't really that much that Wave brings to the table for them relative to the balance of what we're trying to get. And so it is certainly something new learning to negotiate in sort of an underhanded situation. 
Right. Well, clearly you've uh, been able to do a pretty solid job because Wave is still alive and ticking and you have some big names on the platform. So congrats on that. Well, thank you. Hopefully we can keep chugging along in the same path. I am so excited to have you on the show today because there are three things that you are going to teach us today and I'm, I'm pumped to get into it. So how about you just get us started with the first topic? Absolutely. So the first topic is all around starting the negotiation. Very often when somebody is new to negotiation, one of the biggest hurdles you have is really the question of where do I begin and what's the right approach to take? And even for myself, initially when I began negotiating, it was one of the biggest challenges that I faced personally, because you get in a room and you start talking to the other side a little bit about what you want, what they want, and you keep it kind of at a high level. And the next conversation, it sort of begins the same way and everybody is in agreement on the same page. And it can continue like that for a very long time until you take the first step. And so the one point that I think is really the highlight for me here on starting the negotiation is you have to put something in writing in front of the other side. So when you're the one asking for something from the other party and you're coming to them with something that you want, it's really important that at some point after the high level discussions on what are we trying to do together and having some high level agreement that you actually put something together like a term sheet or a proposal, whatever it might be in front of the other side that is concrete on what you're trying to propose. And that really gets the conversation going. Absolutely. And it's something that is so simple and yet so overlooked especially when you are starting up something new. It kind of reminds me of grade school dances <laughs> when <laughs> you had the boys on one side of the wall and girls on the other side of the wall and nobody wanted to make any moves. That's kind of what it ha what it looks like a lot of times in these business negotiations. You're having these conversations, but nobody's taking the first step to do what we're here to do, which is uh, some, exactly what you're saying. And so with that term sheet, you're, you're, take, you're making that first step. And for you, why is it important to go with a term sheet and not simply keep it in the discussion mode? So it's important because you want something that is a little bit more official to move things forward. So even though a term sheet is very often non-binding, it's sort of in business culture, a code that you don't go back on the term sheet you sign. So it's really like laying down what's going to be the summary and the outline for your contract. And from there, you'll sort of discuss the high level topics that are most important before you get into the legal contract in detail. And so you want to make sure everybody's on the same page, what they're agreeing to. And across the board, a term sheet is just, you know, a very uniform way of doing that. Absolutely. And the thing is, psychologically, when it comes to the term sheet, especially if somebody agrees to the kind of general terms within the term sheet, it Consistency and commitment are two psychological principles that are incredibly powerful. In Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, that was one of the six principles of influence. And it's incredible because you see it at low levels, you see it at high levels. And I know for me, with my three-year-old, there's a big difference between when I put Kai to bed and when my wife puts Kai to bed. Because when I put Kai to bed, I say... Kai, are you going to stay in bed like a big boy? And he says, yes. And then I say, okay, can you say that? And then he says, I'm going to stay in bed like a big boy. And then he stays. And so when Whitney puts him to sleep, she says, all right, Kai, good night. I love you. And leaves. 
but then he walks out. And so on those rare occasions when I put him down and he comes back up and says, and is just walking around after bedtime, I say, Kai, didn't we make an agreement? And then that's usually all it takes for him to go back. And for me as an attorney, there have been times where we've made agreements and it's embedded within the, the email trail. And then somebody tries to backtrack, and then I just reorient them to the email that we sent earlier. And that's enough to get them back on track, too. And so getting things down on paper is incredibly powerful because it keeps them in place. And like you said, with a term sheet, it's not legally binding necessarily, but it is psychologically binding, which is very, very powerful. Exactly. The other thing is it can eliminate any confusion. And so I think about the email comment you made, and sometimes in verbal discussions, you think you're agreeing to something and the other side thinks they're agreeing to something different. And so having it written in a form where it clearly states what the intent is can eliminate any ambiguous confusion, we'll say. <laughs> exactly. Because the thing is, we are biased towards ourselves. And whenever there's ambiguity, we are going to interpret that ambiguity in our favor and against other people. And so if you have that uh, kind of nebulous term out there, you think it's good for you, they think it's good for them. And then when you get the, the larger contract, then everybody is all in a huff and a puff because <laughs> they, they, they see it's something completely different. And that also kind of, this is uh, putting my lawyer hat back on. This is why it's so important to control drafting. When it gets to that stage, not only do you want to be the person putting forward the term sheet, you want to have your attorneys drafting the contract because as attorneys, our job is to write these contracts in a way that is in our favor, that gives us the most protection. And so not only are you going to make sure that the terms are written in a way that meets your understanding and meets your needs, but also those the warranties, the indemnification clauses, all of those boilerplate terms those clauses are going to be in your favor as well. So controlling the drafting from term sheet to contract is going to be critical. Yep. Perfect. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly, and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. So what is tip number two? Tip number two is to listen. And I know everybody 
says, you know, listen to what other people have to say. But what I'm talking about is really an active listening state. So very often when we're in an argument or a conflict with somebody else, we're too busy preparing the next thing we're going to say to counter the points that the other side is making. And we're not doing enough listening. And one of the biggest things I have learned in negotiation is you're better off to spend your time actively listening and trying to hear the other side and understand what they're saying, why they're saying it, and really wrap your mind around that aspect. And then take a little bit longer to form your own thoughts before you respond than you are to come right back immediately with a response and, you know, have something right away ready because you weren't listening 100%. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And it's something that, like you said, everybody says it, but I don't think many people really go too deeply into it when it comes to listening, because the key term that you said was active listening. And and listening is more than the cessation of speech. <laughs> it's not just <laughs> the fact that you stop talking and you're listening, but you actually, it's an, it's an active process. In my book, I coined the, uh, the term 70-30 rule. And so in my negotiations and my mediations, my goal is to keep the breakdown of conversation 70-30 where I'm listening 70% of the time and only speaking 30% of the time. Because I know if I'm able to maintain that, that ratio of conversation, I'm creating an information asymmetry in my favor. And knowledge is power. That holds true in this case. And if I'm talking, I'm most likely not learning. So I want to be able to extract as much information as possible from the other party during the conversation. And in your opinion, what is it that makes this so difficult for people to do? Because we all know it's important. Why, why can't we do it? I think it's just our natural state where when we hear something that we don't agree with right away, our first reaction is to try to disagree with it and to come up with all the reasons why they're not right. And you have to sort of fight against that and remember that, okay, well, that'll be important later. The important thing to do right now is to hear what they're saying. And most importantly, why are they saying it? Because very often what somebody says is not the full extent of what they're intending to get across or the rationale for why they're saying it. And so it's important to you know spend that time. And I 100% agree with the 70-30 breakdown. It's really critical. Yeah. People often feel safer when they're talking. And if you ask great questions, you can kind of exploit that to get more information. And with that breakdown of 70-30, I know that they feel like they're in control of the conversation when in reality, it's the person asking the question who's in control of the conversation. And so it's, it's tough and it feels, it makes you feel a little bit vulnerable. But as you start to practice, you become a little bit more comfortable doing it. And once you start to see the positive results with these interactions, then you start to feel a lot better about it because your outcomes are, are more favorable. Yep. And the best way, sort of as you mentioned here, to make sure you're listening is to continue to ask questions. So when you're actively listening to something that they're saying, the best next thing you can do instead of trying to respond with an argument is to ask a question to really get into what they're trying to communicate. Because what you'll find is by asking questions, even if you think that they won't answer them or that they're obvious, sometimes you might get a different answer than you expect. Exactly. I, I love it. Very cool. All right. Let's move on to number three and my personal favorite. <laughs> so number three is that sometimes it's okay to play stupid. The key here is 
you have to recognize exactly what's happening. And sometimes I've had this actually happen to me on the other side where the other side played stupid to me the first time I saw this many years ago. And what the advantage is if you play stupid is it gives you the opportunity to ask different questions and not necessarily acknowledge the other side. And so while you're listening to the other side, it's okay to pretend like you don't understand something or you didn't understand the math that went on. So that's exactly what happened to me. To give a concrete example, I was in a negotiation and I was doing some financial estimations and the other side just couldn't seem to understand how I got to the number, which worked out perfectly for them because no matter how I explained it, they just disagreed and stuck to their number. And the key here is that very often people will give in if you're playing stupid and you're not understanding. They may give in more than you'd realize. And at the same time, it gives you a chance to ask questions and really dive into, you know, what's happening and maybe they're not seeing things your perspective and see a little bit further. So... Yeah, I think it's it's brilliant. It's so simple, but so powerful. Because like you said, in that situation, you kept on explaining the number and they kept on acting like they didn't get it. And after a while, it, it kind of shakes your confidence. Like, am I crazy? <laughs> what, <laughs> what's happening here? Maybe I should adjust. It really has an interesting, an interesting impact on you psychologically. And another benefit to acting stupid sometimes is the fact that it allows you to address what could be underhanded behavior in a way that's non-threatening and non-judgmental. So let's say it's a situation where you find information that indicates that the other person has been lying about a key component of the negotiation. And so you could approach it one of two ways. You could say, well, listen, Larry, I'm on to you. And I know you've been lying to me. You're a terrible person, blah, blah, blah. And so the problem with that, that head-on approach is that it's kind of like the, that law of physics. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And now in this situation, even if Larry indeed was lying and trying to deceive you, He's not going to allow you to, to characterize him as a liar. Even a liar doesn't want to be called a liar. That's not good. And so the different approach using the acting stupid approach is saying, hey, Larry, I just wanted to bring uh, have this conversation with you because we've been working together for a few months now and I know you're a, a stand-up guy. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of help me understand a discrepancy I'm seeing in the research that we've done and the numbers that you provided. I know sometimes administratively we can run into problems when there's a lot of stuff going on. So I just wanted to have this conversation with you and figure out what, what the problem is. And if you approach it that way, then it gives him the opportunity to say face. Oh, my bad. I was wrong. Let's, let's change this. And it's a lot more non-confrontational. Yep, absolutely. The other aspect to this is recognizing when somebody is playing stupid to you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and being aware, you know, and finding a new path because if you keep trying down the same path, clearly it's not going to go anywhere because it's not a gap in understanding. It's a, a it's a true, you know, way to negotiate. And so you have to really understand, you know, that they are doing it to you and see what other path you might be able to take. Yeah, I agree. And let's say maybe let's do a little hypothetical here. If you were in that situation again, what would you do differently? So in that situation, the key for me would be to try to put it back on them to explain first 
what they're doing and how they got there. And oftentimes I find it can be really helpful to have a whiteboard (laughs) where you can get up there and you can write some of these things out. And so you can follow the path of thinking a little bit more clearly. And then if there's a specific point where it changes, you can sort of say, well, I'm not sure I follow how you got to that point. And so rather than trying to force your idea, you're forcing the other side to explain theirs in more detail. And so that's one path. The other path, I would say, is scrapping the whole concept and coming at it from an entirely different approach, which can mean that instead of going down to the nitty gritty calculation in a number, you just say, you know, well, for us, we feel like going this path and this number is the right way. And here's the rationale for why that isn't mathematical, maybe. And so you really can try many different paths. And sometimes you have to try all of them. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, the key is just sort of understanding what's happening. And if keeping in mind, there can be a lack of understanding. So you can't just assume the other side is playing stupid, they may actually not understand what you communicated. So ruling that out as well. I think that's really smart. And with regard to coming up with a new strategy, it's tough to come up with a new strategy off the fly, you know, in in the middle of a conversation when there's a lot on the line. And so I think in certain circumstances, if you have the luxury of more time, taking the opportunity to ask more questions from them and get more information and then say, well, let's come back tomorrow or a different day and reconvene uh, because... I, a lot of times for me, at least, it's difficult to come up with a new plan of attack in the middle of a conversation. I totally agree. And that's the lawyer in you coming out because that's what typically your lawyer is best at in most of the negotiations when you've got somebody on the business side and you've got somebody on the legal side. Oftentimes your lawyer is sort of your voice of reason to remind you to take a breath and let's come at it a different way tomorrow. So they always say, let's put a pin in it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's funny. We're, we're very risk averse. And so we recognize that you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube sometimes. So we, we want to avoid those, those terrible situations situations where we make a mistake by trying to freestyle in the middle of a conversation. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. And I think it's important, you know, to have somebody like that when you are thinking about it in negotiation. It's really key to understand exactly what you're going to put on the table, because while you're freestyling, you can't take it back. So you have to make sure anything you're going to propose, you're ready for the other side to accept just as is. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add to these three points before we go? No, I think that really covers it. I mean, I think there's the obvious stuff of compromising and, you know, trying to understand what the other side is thinking and all of those things. But these are definitely the high level tips I would propose. Perfect. Perfect. And and before you go, there was also a gift you had for the Negotiate Anything audience. There is. So the first 500 people who enter the promo code negotiate when they sign up at wave.com, W-E-Y-V.com, will get you two months of wave free, no strings attached. Fantastic. This is exciting. Yes. Thank you so much for your generous gift and audience. Please, please, please uh, take advantage of that. I think that's a great offer. And uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. Thank you again for having me. My pleasure. 
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you're liking what you're hearing, please leave a review and subscribe and tell your friends. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. And when you leave reviews, it makes it easier for people to find us in the searches. Thanks again for being a listener. I'll catch you in the next one.